Thanks again, praise team, for leading us in worship. And thank you, Mark, for sharing about your ministry. Isn't it refreshing just to see what God's doing in other parts of the world all at the same time that he's doing great things and here? And, uh, and it's, it's awesome. And to see, you know, just to, to hear reports from people that we were praying for regularly. And, uh, and so we, we love you guys, and, and uh, we want to send you on your way uh, with, with our blessing. And at the end of the service, just to remind you, we will take a special offering uh, for the patents. Uh, so if you could be thinking through and praying for, for what you feel God would have you contribute to them and to their ministry at the end of the service as well. well let's open up our Bibles uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we've been, we've been looking at, uh, at what, it, what it is going to be happening in the last days. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we, we read that uh, in the last days, there were going to be mockers, scoffers who would rise up to, to try and get us off track. And they would try and convince us that there is no God, or at least not a God who intervenes in history. Just to review where we were from the, from the, the previous weeks, in verse 3 and 4 we read this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so they, they come in and they, and they make fun of, of our beliefs because they believe, or at least they claim to believe, that everything is the same way as it always has been. There is no God who intervenes, right? Uh, they have uh, two simple beliefs that we, that, we learned, that we learned about. Number one is that, that, that there is no divine punishment for being wicked, and likewise there is no divine reward for being righteous. We're just here. And then they, and they scoff and they make fun of, of us for believing something different. Last week, though... We realize that the evidence was stacked up against them because they willfully forget four things. They willfully forget the evidence of creation that's all around us. They willfully forget the, the first destruction, the flood, and the evidence of the flood that is around us. The present preservation, even the matter of universe as it's held together by, uh, by God himself, which is why it makes it so easy for them to willfully forget that there's a coming destruction to this world. And... And so we believe in, in, uh, in, in something very different then. Uh, and what I, what I hope we understand is that we, can, we should not let those scoffers, not let those mockers convince us that these things aren't real. Amen? And we, we, we have to, uh, uh, to stick to our guns and believe the truth. Don't let the mockers convince you that these things are not real. So what we believe then would be the exact opposite of that. So and, and if we look at what we believe, we believe that there uh, will be a day when wickedness is punished and there, there will be a day when righteousness is going to be rewarded once and for all. We just sang about that day, didn't we? And we believe that. And the reason that we can sing with, with such passion is because we believe in those words. And so that's what we believe, very different from what the world believes. And we call that day the day of the Lord. And we're looking forward to the day of the Lord. I, I say all of, all of this to remind us where we've been because it's very important to go into today's text with this understanding. So with me, if we can uh, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 together. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Wow, these are heavy words, are they not? When you read the scriptures and you read something like this, 
wow, these are heavy words. And, and we said, but God is love. Yes, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, right? And we see justice here. And uh, this is one of those verses where it says, a day is going to come. It's going to come like a thief in the night. So when people do not expect it, it's going to happen. The mockers say it will never happen because they say things like this just don't happen, right? Think things are the same as they always have been. Those mockers are going to be surprised one day, aren't they? And, and there is a day. It's going to come, and it's going to come like a thief in the night. Um, and it says that the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, even the elements, the, the idea that the, the, the things that make up all the things that we build. I mean, every brick, every element, every, all, everything is going to melt in a fervent heat. Wow, this is, this is strong and heavy language. Then it goes on to say, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So not only the earth, but all of the things that we build up, all of the works of our hands, uh, all of those are going to be burned up. Wow, do you really believe that, Pastor Dave? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Why? Because I don't willfully ignore creation. I don't willfully ignore the first destruction. And I don't willfully ignore the fact that he's holding this universe together as we speak. Amen? And so what we see here is, is that, that there is a day coming in the future. Now, it's important for us to catch this in, in light of history. So let's take a, a quick lesson of history, really just walking through the four things that are willfully ignored by the mockers. And uh, so if we put those together, uh, we'll, we'll see exactly how we came to this place where we're at and, and how we're going to get to this place of this final destruction. So if we could look at, at human history in a sense, but also measure from good to bad so we understand the, uh, where history has gone. History at the point of creation, the first thing that they willfully ignore, at creation, how is, the, how is the universe? Good or bad? How are people? We were good, right? God created everything and he said it is good. God created mankind and he said it is very good. I mean, so we were at the top. We, I mean, this was great. The pinnacle of, of creation made in God's image. And, and so God created it all. It is good. And, uh, and so that was creation. And that was Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to get too far in the, book, in the books of the Bible to get to where sin enters the picture, right? Genesis chapter 3. And so in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters in the world and things things decline from there, right? Things go, things get bad. In a very short period of time, about 2,500 years uh, approximately, things go from really good to so bad that God says, that's it, no more. And, and that's where we find the first destruction, right? God sends a flood and the first destruction and, uh, and wipes out, uh, wipes out the, the world and, and starts over. And that's in this context that we find Genesis, you don't have to turn there, I'll just show it on the screen real quickly, but Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. It's God talking to mankind. He says, Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So at that point, God made a promise, I am not going to destroy the whole earth again via a flood. Now, if you were listening to that for the first time, it sounds like, oh, this, is, this is, it sounds great at first. And then you say, wait a minute, via a flood, are you saying that you might destroy the earth with a different means? And that's kind of the question that gets left in the back of your mind when you, when you first hear this. Why? Because of the rest of the story. 
And so what we find here is, is at this point, God restored it. He, he uh, started over. So he, he starts over with just one righteous man, his wife, three kids, and their wives. And he starts over. Of course, when I say a righteous man, I do not mean that he, he was a perfect man. You all know the stories of Noah. He was a sinful man as, as much as, as the next guy. But God started over with them. And he not only started over, he slowed the process down. If you read about that in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, what, and 6 through 8, we read the story of the flood. But he, he not only wiped out everything. Imagine all technology, gone. Everything that gone, starting over with just a few people. But he also decreased their lifespan, which effectively slowed down the process. And so from that point on, we've continued to go at a slower rate, but we're moving in the same direction. Um, and this is, the, this is that area, the era of preservation, where God is preserving everything. He preserves the universe in spite of the fact that we as a race have become more and more sinful over time. By the way, when I say race, I mean the human race, because really there's only one race, amen? And we are the human race, and we see that decline um, over, over time in history. And then we read, this is what Jesus said about this, uh, this moment, the, the coming final day when there's going to be destruction. Look what Jesus said about it himself. If you want to keep a finger in Second Peter and turn to Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 35 to 39, we read this. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He said, The heavens and the earth, all the stuff that you see one day, it's, it's going to pass away. But my word is true forever. There's some things that don't pass away, and it's God's word is one of them. He goes on to say, verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What is he saying? We're in this process of, of becoming more and more like the people in the days of Noah. And just as in the days of Noah, God had to deal with sin, right? He dealt with sin, saying, we're working towards becoming like the days of Noah. And when we get there, what's going to happen? The heavens are going to pass away. The earth, the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. Verse 38, he describes how it was in the days of Noah. He says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow. You see that. God had to deal with sin, and, and there was this quick degradation, 2,500 years. It got to a point, and, and how does he describe the people there? They're eating, drinking, they're making merry, right? They're, they're, they're marrying, giving in marriage, and so on. You get this idea that they're following their flesh, right? And when I read that, I think, boy, that sounds an awful lot like a description of the culture that we live in right now, Right? I mean, what's it all about? And, and two things are really mentioned in there. The idea of following your fleshly desires, you know, with the eating and drinking. Also, a dissipated view of, of marriage. In fact, one of the first gifts that God, that God gave to mankind was the gift of marriage. Remember Adam? He's alone. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. And he, he created Eve out of his own flesh. 
And the very moment that he saw her, he, he broke out into Hebrew poetry and said, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. It's a beautiful gift that God had given him. And God designed them differently. He designed the man and, and the woman differently so that, that they could come together and, and, and form something that's better than the sum of the individual parts. Right? He created it. And, and, and this is a beautiful thing. And he's saying, in the last days, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, marriage meant nothing. They're giving in marriage and receiving marriage. Marriage meant nothing. And I look around and I say, boy, we're getting close to that, aren't we? And we're getting to the point in our own culture where, where we see, we, we, we have to be rapidly approaching the days of Noah when we look at this. And so we, we see this final destruction of, by fire, this final consummation. And, and I would have to say, and again, I'm no prophet, but looking at the descriptions, I would say we have to be somewhere right around there, right? We're, 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 but we're rapidly approaching that day. So everything that we've seen, everything that we've touched, everything that we have around us is at one point going to be burned up. How do you respond to that? And you think of all the things, even the things that you've built, the things that, that you've created. Guess what? Oh, it's all going to be burned up. How do we respond to that? I'm glad that Peter answers that question for us. In verse, verse 11, this is what we read. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now, this, uh, this is actually half of a sentence. So he, he gives a rhetorical question here. So, the rhetorical question is where the answer is actually in the question. So that's why you'll find a question mark at the end of verse 12. But here he says, therefore, uh, or, or looking for, excuse me, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Here we find two answers right there of, of how this is supposed to be applied in our life. If we understand that everything we see is going to be dissolved, the first thing it's going to affect is our holy conduct. We're going to have holy conduct. Now, holy conduct literally means conduct that is set apart. That's what the word holy means. It is set apart from, uh, from the influences of the majority. If you go back just one chapter, in chapter 2, we, we found that by, by nature, the majority of people are influenced by three things. They're influenced negatively by three things. Remember what they were? They were Satan the world, and ourself, being our sin nature. And so the, the world tends to follow those. From Adam in the garden, right, all the way to us. We tend to follow Satan. We tend to follow the world. Why? There's peer pressure. We tend to, to do what the world does. And, and they, we always say to our kids, well, if, our, if, if your friends told you to jump off a cliff, would you? In reality, the answer is yes. <laughs> we do. We follow the world right off the cliff. And our selfish, sinful nature we, we follow our own, we, our, our own appetites and we let them guide us. And a holy conduct says that, that we will be set apart from that. We're not going to follow the same things. We're going to be following something completely different. We're going to follow God. We're going to follow His Scripture. We're going to follow the Holy Spirit who convicts us. We're going to, we have different influences. Holy conduct is, is a lifestyle with new, a whole new set of influences. We reject the natural influences and we seek the supernatural ones that come from God. Holy conduct. If we really believe that the world and everything around us is going to be dissolved, then we better change our conduct. Does that make sense? 
how we better change our conduct. The second thing we find in that verse, uh, not as just, it's not just holy conduct, but godliness. And that's a word that we use a lot, but I think we oftentimes use it without thinking about it. We almost just use it to mean righteousness. Um, and even though godly acts uh, and righteous acts are the same, uh, the, the, the understanding of the word is important. The word godliness could be best understood by comparing it to its antonym. The antonym would be ungodliness. What does ungodliness mean? It means taking God out. It's taking God out of the equation, pretending or living as if God does not exist. So God, godliness, then, uh, would, would be living in awareness of God's existence and presence. We, we, we live in such a way that we understand he's there. See, the mockers are the exact opposite of this, aren't they? What they mock us for, is they mock us for believing in a God, they mock us for, for living in light of the existence of God. Meanwhile, they can go on following their fleshly lusts. Why? Because they're pretending, willfully ignoring the fact that God is real and that he's present. And, and so we, we change the way we live our lives. We live in godliness. And, and godliness essentially is a change, a complete change of focus. So I want to ask, what does godliness look like? Well, look at verse 12, if we continue to read the second half of that sentence. Um, just to remember the context, I'll read verse 11 uh, out loud. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Then verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You know, what does godliness look like? I think there are two things that we see in, in, in this text. Number one, the things of the world lose their importance to us. Why? Uh, the, they're going to be burned up. I mean, do, do you really put all of your focus on something that you're, you're not going to keep? I mean, just think about the way you treat, uh, treat something that is disposable versus something that is not disposable. How do you treat a disposable plate Versus China that's been passed down from generation to generation in your family. You treat them very differently, don't you? Why? Because it's disposable. And all of a sudden we, we, we realize that everything around us is disposable. So instead of striving for the things around us, we strive for something else. And the things that are around us, they, they begin to lose, lose their importance. Now, sure, we need food, we need water, we need shelter, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to accumulate some things in this life. We just do, right? Um, um, but there's a difference between accumulating some things and being obsessed by having things. And uh, I, I think, I remember, uh, I think it was the first year that I was here, um, we, we talked about this similar topic, and I gave what we called the, the stool test, that was poor, poor choice of wording there. But you may remember that. Uh, where, where the idea behind it was you, you take a stool, and if, if you have a stool, and you, you can touch the stool, but am I, is my weight on this stool? What would happen right now if you were to take this stool away? Basically nothing, right? Now, if I lean on the stool... I hope this stool holds up. It might be a little heavier than I was three years ago. I don't know. All right, now I'm leaning on the stool, correct? What would, what would happen if someone were to come up and kick this stool out from underneath me? I would fall, right? I would fall. The reason is I'm leaning at it. There's a difference between having things, right, 
and focusing on having things and, and striving to have things and living your life to have things. And, and so the question, the way you can tell us, what would you do if God took it out? You know, if there is anything in your life that if God took that thing away from you and all of a sudden your life falls apart, then guess what that means? You were leaning on that thing when we ought not lean on things. Godliness is when we take God into consideration, not so much things. We, we see things for what they are. They're, they're, they're not that important. God is important. Does that make sense? And, and, uh, and we, 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 if our life would be torn apart because of a thing, then man, oh man, we need to get off of that thing. Paul says, don't be mastered by any thing. Right? That's what Paul says. So we have to make sure that we don't have it. It reminds me of, of, a, of a, a friend of mine in Ecuador. Uh, I shared the story. I don't know if I shared it in this context, but I'll share the story again to illustrate this point. But he, uh, he was a man. He worked himself up. He, he made a lot of money. Uh, he, he got to a point where he was bored with it. So he decided to sell everything that he had and uh, it, just sell it all and purchase a totally new business and see if he could make that business thrive. So he, he sold his business. He was right in that period of time between, uh, between selling the business and buying the other. All of his money was in the bank. And one of the disadvantages of living in a socialist economy is that sometimes the government says, everything that's in the bank now belongs to us. You keep your house, everything in the bank no longer belongs to you. And that happened to him while everything he owned was in the bank. He went from having s- several employees under him to now having to go look for a job because he didn't have money to start a new business. You get the feeling where he could be? For a lot of people, that would be like the end of the world. And I remember what he said to that. Uh, what, what he said, he said, you know what, I'm held accountable to God for what I do with what I have. He said, so as long as I know that God wasn't taking this away from me as a punishment, then it's just a test from him. And he was perfectly okay with it. He went and he got a job. He said, maybe God's called me to be a missionary in a different place. And this is what I mean. Wow, isn't that awesome? Why? Because he was never leaning on his things. You know, and yet God has increased his influence over the years. He's now a pastor of, of, a, of a church in Ecuador. And uh, in fact, and he has a job on the side too. In fact, the last time I went to his house, he was late for lunch because he was... He was uh, talking with the president of the country. He wanted his advice on something. God's increased his influence. Why? Because here was a man who said, I don't care so much about things. You know, I'll have them where I can, but, but I'm not going to lean on those things. Godliness in its truest form means we come to a point where we understand things are going to be burned up anyway. We're not going to take any of these things. with. I was at um, a funeral yesterday. And uh, one of the things that uh, the man who, who spoke said is, uh, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. That's true, isn't it? You'll never see a U-Haul behind You can't take stuff with you. It's going to be burned up. A godly person lives that way. Uh, you'll use the temporary stuff in order to gain things that matter for eternity. Because everything's going to be burned up. This building is going to be burned up. This building could be burned up today. And would the church still exist? Yes, it would. Well, we could meet somewhere else. 
we could meet in the Meyer parking lot if we have to. <laughs> because this is eternal. This building's not. And, and so, so a person who is godly is going to live that way. Use the things that God has entrusted to us while he's given it to us. If he takes it away, it's okay. And uh, so we can tell everyone that Pastor Dave was talking about stool tests today. <laughs> Look at the second thing we find in verse 13. And we'll close with this verse. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So not only do, we, do the things of the world lose their importance to us, but the things of heaven become important to us. You know, this is what Paul was talking about in, uh, in Colossians 3 when he said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is what he's getting at. As godliness, we have to set our minds on the things that really genuinely matter. You know, there are several ways for us to demonstrate this today. And when I think through, uh, when I think through this passage, there's a couple of applications. Number one, if by chance there is a person here today that would say, you know what? I have never trusted Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior because somewhere in the back of my mind I've always wondered, is this real? I mean, is there really going to be a day when we're held accountable before God? Or can I just get through life, you know, living as good as I can in case of that, you know, just to be safe, but I'm going to be the boss of my own life. If that's you today, I'm telling you today, right now, without a doubt, that this is real. The day of the Lord is real. It is coming. And the day of the Lord is, is, is it, there's going to be a day, and if you wait until that day, it will be too late. But the bright side is God has something so much better for you than what you could have ever imagined. He's got a life where when you don't care about things and you care about heavenly things instead of earthly things, it's going to change the way you live your life. And I would like to give you an opportunity today to accept that truth. Uh, the second application, I think for those who would say, I, Pastor Dave, I know for sure I'm saved. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's not a doubt in my mind. And then that means you're in the journey towards godliness. And if that's you today, I would ask you to take the stool test, in a sense, and, and think through what are the things in your life that if God were to take them out, would just... Make your whole life seem to crumble apart. And today, I'm going to give you an, the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to put my trust in you, and I'm going to surrender those things to you. In fact, in just a moment, uh, after, after the invitation, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to give a love offering, giving something that is of earthly value so that we can invest in people who are going to use it for eternal things. Right? That's an opportunity. For some, it might be hard to say, oh, man, I already gave an offering once today. Right? Give something else. Maybe that's the application for you. Uh, we've had opportunities in the future coming up. Uh, um, uh, there's a, a church in, in Costa Rica that's looking to, uh, to put their building up in October. and They need some workers, right? We have, we'll be talking about that in the weeks ahead. Uh, there might be a way for you to participate in it, whether you go or whether, whether you, you help send someone who maybe can hold a hammer better than you can. I don't know, but one way or not, participating in something that is a, a outside of yourself, or maybe God's just going to bring someone into your path that has a need, 
And, and you're going to have an opportunity to share Christ with that person through, through giving to that person. I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what. When you don't live with the purpose of getting things, then all of a sudden you get to experience something that is it's heavenly. Is how, how Paul and Peter describes it. Setting our affections on things above, and there's nothing like it. And so I would encourage you as, as believers as well, think through, and as we sing in just a few moments, if the Lord's working in your heart too and saying, you know what, there are things in my life that should not be leaned upon, and I need to take those things. I'm going to come forward. You don't have to come talk to me. Just come forward and surrender those things to the Lord and say, Lord, this is something I'm surrendering to you. If you want to take it, take it, whatever it might be. Because I want to live in, a, in light of the reality of the day, the coming day of the Lord. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll sing, give you an opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reality, the reality of it. Lord, everything you have ever promised has come true. So when you speak of these future things, we could speak of them as if they were present tense. Because we know that everything you said would happen will happen. So Lord, right now, my prayer first is that if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their personal Savior, I pray that right now they would recognize the reality of your existence and they would begin their life with you today. I pray that they would come forward and come talk to me or even go to the back. We have some men and women who can share with them from your word how they can know for sure they have eternal life. And Lord, I know that for all of us as believers, we struggle. We struggle in this area of godliness. We're so obsessed with things and possessions that we lean on them instead of leaning on you. I pray, Lord, that right now you'd work in our hearts, bring things to our attention, that we could surrender those things to you today before the altar. And I pray this in Christ's name.